My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Roseberry here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, November 21st, 2012. Getaway day here in the United States. Kind of a big deal. Thanksgiving is uh, tomorrow and uh, a lot of folk are on the road traveling to their Thanksgiving destinations today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And one of the ways in which crazy things are being said, or one of the reasons, is because of, uh, well, if you've heard the term mission creep, you've heard this term, right? Mission creep. You know, it's the idea that, you know, we were, we sent our troops to, uh, to Afghanistan to destroy the Taliban and we ended up, whoops, <laughs> engaging in, well, something else. Okay. See, that, see, that's the idea of mission creep. So, so now what we're doing is we're growing poppies or something like that. That wasn't part of the original mission. So what happens is, is that the mission of the church, okay, the mission of the church is to disciple the nations. I think that's a pretty simple concept there, to re- proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and to disciple the nations, teaching them all that Christ has commanded, all that Christ has said. We have a specific, we have we have a message. We have, uh, we, we, we've got a book. We've got a person to proclaim. We've got good news. To, you see, all of that's is the, the idea. But what happens is, is that one of the things that I think Satan uses is the distraction of politics. It's that's not to say that there isn't a Christian way to speak in you know regarding politics, but oftentimes what happens is is that people you know, that are Christians 
spend an inordinate amount of time, probably too much time, fighting political battles in the civil realm. That's not to say that certain political battles ought to be fought. But the reality is this, is that the culture wars and, you know, you know, trying to get a particular candidate elected and stuff like that, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And if I'm going to pick what I'm going to spend my time doing, okay, as a Christian, it's going to be proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Um, you know, and since I teach in the church, teaching uh, those whom I teach about Christ, and I'm not going to spend time that I ought to be teaching God's word uh, to to die, go into politics. And so what happens is, is that there are a lot of folks, and really good people too, who I think oftentimes get distracted by the political battle. And the reality is this, is that no matter how bad the politics are out there, and sometimes they're great, and, and then most of the time it's not great, because our hope isn't in the kings and presidents and politicians of the earth. Uh, well, we're all citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so what happens is is that you know, it, it's, it's just kind of a simple idea of bandwidth, okay? Um, there's, you only have so much time. You only have so much energy. You have, only have so many hours in a day, okay? So as a Christian, you know, if you're going to impact the culture, how are you going to do it? And What's the message that you're going to bring the culture? You need to elect better people? Okay, um, so we're going to engage in a political argument. Or are you going to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and understanding this, that every human being brought to repentant faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins has been regenerated. They've been given a new heart, new appetites, a new everything. And and so, you know, and they need to be fed and, and brought up in the faith, and then they bear fruit according accordingly. So, I mean, there's only so many people I can I can reach. Yeah, and you're thinking, well, Chris, you you got a, a you know a radio program that's listened to all over the world. Yeah, I know that. Um, yeah, but and actually, that kind of helps make my point. And, and and what I mean by that is this: is that okay? Think about it. Okay, fighting for the faith has listeners in the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Israel, um, South Africa. We got listeners in Korea, Singapore. I mean, all. Like fifty, well, it's more than that. I lost track of the. I have look. Probably need to go look at our geos. We're listening to like all over the place. Okay, um, and so so here's the question I have for you. Okay, um, you know I'll use Jake Elliott as an example. Jake Elliott is uh, he lives down in Australia. He's an artist. Uh, he you know and and the the guy's doing a yeoman's work, uh, trying to help warn the uh, the church. The church is down in uh, Australia about. Uh, Phil Pringle and uh, guys like Brian Houston and the Hillsong Gang and all that kind of stuff. But uh, here's the deal: I I couldn't tell you. If I, I had no clue. I have. I'd have to Google it. Let's put it this way: off the top of my head, I have no idea who's the 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 head honcho politically in Australia. Couldn't tell you who's the head honcho in South Africa or New Zealand or Singapore. Um, I. I Come to think of it, I probably couldn't tell you about who's the head honcho in Great Britain right now. And so he, so he, he, what I mean, so here's the idea is that 
regardless of the fact that I am completely in the dark about the politics in New Zealand and Australia, Great Britain, South Africa, Singapore, you know, name the country. I just don't know. Okay. Um, the thing is, is that every one of the listeners that listens to Fighting for the Faith who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, we all together, you know, despite, regardless of whether we live in a, a, in a democratic republic, if we live in under, you know, a government in, Sharia, you know, that you know, presses its people using Sharia law, we have listeners in Saudi Arabia, which is a kind of a dicey proposition. Um, and and what I mean by that is is that you know the the people who uh, support us in Saudi Arabia they they financially support fighting for the faith we have to be careful um, in how we correspond and communicate with them uh, for the very reason that um, you know that that is a hostile environment to uh, you know to Christians and so uh, you know we so so the idea is this is that um, regardless of where a Christian lives okay. We all together are part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. And and so if I were to spend my time on fighting for the faith, grinding on political issues all the time that are relevant and in the now and the big thing here in the United States right now, um, how would that benefit, you know, in the people in Australia? In New Zealand, in South Africa, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's not that there isn't a place for Christians to participate in politics. There is. It's not as if there isn't a place for them to do that. But what concerns me is when prominent pastors and teachers and folks like that make that this. They become. They're they're more politically wonkish than they are you know, versed in the scriptures. So. I think we have to kind of get back to this idea. Listen, uh, the agenda we have as the church, um, although there's some there's some times in which there's common ground between what the church needs to be doing and politics, politics ultimately is going to let us down, and that's temporary stuff anyway. And we, we to, I'll be blunt, we got more important things to worry about. Um, and and so it's not again, it's not that politics doesn't matter, but I'm convinced. That if the church gets off of this mission creep thing and gets back to basics, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, discipling the nations with sound doctrine, with the, the very words of Christ, and you know that that is how we are salt and light, and that that ultimately has an a, a positive impact on our greater culture. Here we're. We're, we're, we're upset about the fact that the, the, the world is getting darker. Well, I think the world is getting darker uh, in, because um, the church um, somehow thinks it's entitled to a Christianish society. We're not. You know, every single human being that's born is born an enemy of God. So, um, you, know, you know, just do the math. We got work to do, but it's not – we can't legislate – the the type of changes that we want because the type of changes that we're really we really want to see happen really first and foremost have to come from people who from their hearts want to do good but none of us by nature wants to do good 
So in order, you get what I'm saying. Anyway, so I, I, I fear that uh, that much of the church has been experiencing mission creep. Yeah, listen, you know, it's not that, the, like I said, Christians can talk about politics. I don't have a problem with that. But if you're obsessing about it, yeah, maybe it's time for you to not. <laughs> so anyway, let's talk about what we're going to do on our getaway day edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, we, we've got a William Tapley Third Eagle of the Apocalypse update, but um, after I play the music to intro the uh, William Tapley Third Eagle of the Apocalypse update, we're going to first be um, listening to um, A Mea Culpa by Pat Robertson. And you're going, Pat Robertson? What does Pat Robertson have to do with William Tapley? Well, you're going to find out. You, you will find out. So this, we're, we're going to kind of mix a William Tapley update with a Pat Robertson update um, here in just a minute. Um, then we've got uh, news. Uh, apparently the Christmas wars have begun, and I will be making my annual plea uh, for Christians to rethink the Christmas wars. And you'll you'll get what I'm saying when we get there. We've got uh, news. Uh, yeah, the Archbishop of Canterbury, of, uh, the, who's the head of the Church of England, is claiming that uh, that the Church of England has lost credibility because uh, they failed to uh, to to implement and vote in the ability for women to be bishops in the Church of England. Which actually, I think, will kind of help make the point that I'm trying to make uh, the greater point that I'm trying to talk about today. And then we will juxtapose um, the Archbishop of Canterbury's comments with um, a recent <clears throat> video um, from John Hagee um, claiming that God will hold America responsible for re-electing Barack Obama. After all of that, we'll take our second break, and then we're going to listen to two good. Sermons, and I mean fantastic, good sermons. The first sermon will be uh, from uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas, and uh, the Reverend Mark Taylor um, from his 11, uh, November 11th of 2012 sermon. And y- you just need to hear it because I think it fits perfectly, you know, as the perfect foil or the perfect solution to what we're we're trying to point out here in our number one. And then uh, to end the program, we'll be listening to a fantastic sermon from uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman uh, entitled Access, Conscience, and Love. And, uh, in, in, of course, Brent Kuhlman's from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. So we're, we'll end the, the program with two good uh, sermons. Just so you know, tomorrow and Friday, no new episodes of Fighting for the Faith. You know, so those of you outside of the United States, uh, it's a four-day uh, holiday here in the United States. So I, we will be taking uh, tomorrow off for the Thanksgiving holiday, and then Friday is like a recovery day uh, for everybody who's experienced uh, post-turkey food coma. So you know you have to have a recovery day after eating all that food. So and then you know, of course I will not be participating in Black Friday. I in principle refuse to do any of that nonsense. Anyway, so that's how we're going to spend our uh, t- today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable, sit down, relax, fuzzy bunny slippers if you have them. And uh, with that, we're going to get into our William Tapley update. But don't be shocked because I'm going to start the William Tapley update with uh, Pat Robertson. Here, here we go. Turn world so the tongue needs dummies of your own needs, beat it 
Uh, now, if you are a <clears throat> list, uh, regular listener to Fighting for the Faith and uh, Pirate Christian Radio, then you know that William Tapley, the uh, third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times, that's how he refers to himself, it was pretty, um, well, he was experiencing prophetic swagger as a result of calling the <laughs> the election. Unfortunately, um, <clears throat> Pat Robertson of um, the 700 Club, CBN, um, he, yeah, he didn't do so good um, in, in in calling the election. In fact, um, let me remind you of something that we covered earlier in the year here at Fighting for the Faith, and that was, well, uh, the if you're familiar with Pat Robertson, every single year in January, um, Pat Robertson goes to the airwaves, and after having spent a week or more privately, Walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and and hearing f- directly from God. And then he comes to CBN and shares what God has told him that he can share and certain things that he can't share. So uh, let me remind you, this is, uh, this is from earlier this year, Pat Robertson <clears throat> explaining what it is that God had communicated to him for him to share with planet Earth <clears throat> for uh, the year 2012. Here's Pat Robertson. I uh, spent the better part of a week in prayer and just saying, God, show me something. And I'll share with you uh, some things I'll share with you. I think he showed me about uh, the next president, but I'm not supposed to talk about that. So I'll leave you in the dark. Okay, so did you hear that? He spent a week in prayer and God, earlier this year, you know, January. God told Pat Robertson who was going to win the election, and he said he was going to keep everybody in the dark. Now, the issue is, is that he didn't exactly leave everybody in the dark. And um, as the presidential election here in the United States drew closer, he pretty much tipped his hand that he believed that God had made it clear that Mitt Romney was going to win the election. Well, um, there's a problem, and that is that, well, Mitt Romney didn't win the election, and so here is Pat Robertson admitting that he blew the election prediction for uh, the presidential election this year, but here's the problem. Who did he claim told him would win the election? That's God. He claimed that God personally told him so listen here's here's pat robertson explaining what happened and doing a little bit of a mea culpa you have to practice the presence of god practice the voice of god practice hearing from god and then check to see if indeed you are hearing from him and uh, so many of us miss god i tell you uh, I, I won't get into great detail about elections but i sure did miss it and i thought i'd heard from god i thought i had heard clearly from god what happened what intervenes why what will you ask god how did i miss it because you didn't hear from god now here's the problem okay here is the problem biblically this means 
anybody who calls themselves a Christian is not to listen to Pat Robertson. The reason being is that he claims that he hears from God, right? Um, but um, it's clear that he hasn't because God does not lie. So let me give you the uh, <clears throat> the biblical uh, passage here that uh, really comes into play. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll start at verse 15 on purpose because uh, to, to just dissect this without the, the Christ part would actually do violence to the text. So here's what God revealed in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, that's like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now, Christ has already come. Who should we be listening to? Christ. Now, that doesn't mean sitting in your room and practicing the presence of God, Brother Lawrence style, or engaging in some kind of mysticism to directly hear from God or listening prayer. That's not what that means. Okay, The only place that you can go right now to hear the voice of the prophet that was prophesied by Moses is to, is to the Gospels. You open your Bible. That's how you hear God. Okay, not sitting there thinking that you're listening or or whatever, but we continue. So just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see his great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth. That's Christ. He shall speak to them all that I command him. Sound familiar, right? And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know that the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You don't even need to listen to him. So here's the deal. Pat Robertson earlier this year claimed that he heard directly from God. God told him who was going to win the election, and you know what? He just publicly admitted that he blew it. What does that mean? Pat Robertson is now under a ban. We are not under any circumstances to listen to him. This is what God's word commands us to do. He's a false prophet. Now, conversely, this doesn't mean that we need to listen to William Tapley just because he called it. No, uh, in fact, his theology precludes him also from being a true prophet, but let me give him another opportunity to spike the prophetic football. Here's William Tapley. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. People are still trying to explain how in the world could Mitt Romney lose this presidential election. And they still do not understand. Although I explained beforehand why he would lose. I made it very clear that the three R's of Romney, Ryan, and the Republicans could not defeat Barack Obama. I made it very clear 
that the only three R's that could beat Obama were revival, repentance, and Mary's rosary. <laughs> yeah, revival, repentance, and Mary's rosary. See, his false theology also precludes him from being a true prophet as well. So the long and the short of it is this, is that since Pat Robertson, his prophetic chops are less than William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse, apocalypse of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the, of the end times. Um, yeah, we have no choice at this point, but to put him under the ban. We, in fact, we, we got to tell every Christian that we know, Pat Robertson is not to be listened to because he speaks presumptuously. And plus William Tapley, a complete, uh, theological wingnut has more prophetic skills than, <laughs> than Pat Robertson. If, if that isn't an argument for not listening to Pat Robertson, then I, I just don't know what is. So, yeah, I mean, if you don't, if your prophetic chops do not exceed those of, William Tapley, then by all means, we must not listen to you. Okay, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. We got a Christmas Wars update in Archbishop of Canterbury thing coming up, too. We don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of the sissy, pansy, cannon photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. And uh, greetings to the Wallace Tapley Show. I'm your host, Wallace Tapley, and my official title is the only mostly accurate prophet of the end times. Uh, some of my competitors call me the second and two-tenths weasel of the apocalypse, but I do my best to ignore their comments of hate and derision. I, I do have an update this week. Uh, yes, uh, my direct revelations from God this week have told me something very, very special. 
It should be coming in right about now. Oh, this is a goodie. It reads, This blessing is for a certain person who's currently living in Italy and is the owner of a bistro. It says that you'll be receiving one million euros. Uh, make that 500,000. Uh, 10,000. Five. Oh, um, yes, you're receiving five euros today. Heaven be praised. Oh, it seems that I'm getting another download. I do believe that it's the result of next year's Super Bowl. Uh, this could turn out to be very profitable indeed. It says the winner of the next year's Super Bowl will be the Chicago Cubs. No, wait, that's not right. I, I mean the L.A. Lakers. No, that's not right either. I, I, I do apologize, folks. My computer suffers from Plato's tenfold error syndrome from time to time. Oh, here we go. It says... Handshake error. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. See you next time on the Wallace Tapley Show. Goodbye! Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Do you find it hard to shop for the geek in your life? Well, if so, we have got a fantastic new featured advertiser for you to visit. It's Think Geek. This is a well-thought-out and hilarious gift store. And what you need to do is visit our website first, piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek, and then click on the ad banner, and then a portion of your purchase will actually go to support Pirate Christian Radio. Trust me, these gifts are hilarious, from wacky office gifts to Star Trek paraphernalia to Star Wars stuff, anything that would really kind of light up the life of the geek in your life. Trust me, you'll love it. They're smart funny and the geek in your life will really enjoy them again piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek all right we're back 
Warning. Um, politics is a different thing than the mission of the church. So don't make that your primary thing. Stay on topic. Stay on task. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions. In order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, you can partner with us. This is a partnership. Yes, you get to actually participate in helping to give the gift of Fighting for the Faith, and you do so by financially supporting us. And if you don't already do so, just visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. That's it. $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. If you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Then send that to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And uh, we are in the middle of our November bake sale. We're trying to help make budget. Um, and so you can, you, we've made available a, a Pirate Christian Radio uh, Christmas bulb. And you can find it at piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale. And also there, we still have a few of the uh, bracelets that my mother made during the summer bake sale. And we still have a few uh, t-shirts available as well. Limited supply on those, by the way. But uh, that's another great way to support us. So if you don't already do so, visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale and get your bake sale items and help us make budget. So, all right, um, moving along. It's beginning to look a lot Yeah, that's a, a little bit gratuitous, but uh, that's a, <laughs> our uh, Christmas Wars update. Um, the story that I'm going to be using to help kind of intro this topic comes to us via the Christian Post, a uh, article written by Alex uh, Moroshko of the Christian Post entitled, Judge Rules Nativity Scene No Longer Allowed in Los Angeles Beach City Park. Of course, this is the standard fare this time of the year. Uh, but let me read. Um, the nearly 60-year-old tradition of a nativity scene displayed at a park and hosted by a coalition of churches in Santa Monica, California, has ended after a federal judge ruled on Monday that the city can ban such displays. A controversy over the display about the birth of Jesus at Palisades Park erupted last Christmas season when an atheist group manipulated the city's lottery system for spaces, according to a nonprofit, resulting in only two booths for for the Christian group that normally uses 14 for the various nativity-related scenes. Quote, It's a very sad day when a small number of people with an axe to grind, people who do not like Christianity, and who do not like God, are able to prevail by manipulating rules to censor our message from the public place where it has been displayed for the enjoyment of millions of people for nearly 60 years. Hunter 
Uh, Jameson, head of the nonprofit Santa Monica Nativity Scene Committee, told the Christian Post Monday. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the article. Folks, this is like a template, okay? You know what a template is, right? I mean, you got if any of you have Microsoft Word, I don't particularly care for Microsoft Word. I use Pages because I'm a Apple Macintosh guy. But from time to time, I have to use Word because you know some of the papers I have to submit they can't be submitted in Pages. Anyway, so so here's the idea. Are you ready? Okay, you open up Microsoft Word, and and you know back in the day there was this little paperclip guy, and and you'd start typing, and he'd say it looks like you're trying to write a letter or a newsletter, or you're, de-, and he would give you a template to work from. Right? This template is not changed in the last thirty years, and I should know because I'm way older than thirty years old. Okay, and this is what happens every single year. And sometimes you, the the good guys win, and they get their nativity scene. And and the ACLU, the bad guys, they have to leave with their tails between their legs, but they always point their fingers and say, "I'll be back next year." <laughs> you know, and, and and this is the drama that goes out. Okay, folks, can I just make a obvious point here? And that is, is that it's not the job of your city to preach the gospel. It's you and your church's job to preach the gospel. Now, I know it's an inconvenience if you can't have your nativity seen in a high-traffic area, but just something to point out here is that a nativity scene, we see so many of them every Christmas that I think that's a pretty ineffective way of preaching the gospel. Remember, it's your job, not your city's job, to preach the gospel. And uh, when we act all shocked and and get in a kerfuffle over the fact that pagans don't like the idea of public government property being used to propagate Christianity, my <laughs> my response is, well, duh, they're born dead in trespasses and sins. They're at war with God. They, it's not that they want to peacefully coexist. With the one true God, they hate him. Okay, so here, here's <clears throat> the, let's kind of reel this in and get back to some priorities. Are you are you ready? Okay, now, priority number one. Okay, it's your job as a Christian to preach the gospel, not just at Christmas time, but at other times. And it's the job of your church to preach the gospel, not just at Christmas time, but every time of the year as well. And so during Christmas season, if your church wants to put a nativity scene up, you know where they can do it? Right there on church property. It's true. And did you know that the ACLU can't make them take it down? Because that's their, that's your property. Now, if, if that's your thing, go right ahead. This perfectly legit thing. And you know what? Everybody who drives by your church every day will see your nativity scene. Okay? But even then, that doesn't preach the gospel. All they're going to see are a bunch of barnyard animals and some very pious-looking people kneeling in front of a manger. That's all they're going to see. Now, that might recall to mind, if they've heard the story, what that's all about. But see, just because there's kneeling pieces of wood, you know, with a manger scene doesn't mean that they're going to go, hey, wait a second, that's God in human flesh. That's the savior of the world. I need to repent and believe in him. Right. Now, let me get some more advice here. Um, Okay. When you go to Walmart, okay, 
just keep this in mind. I don't know how to break it to you, but Walmart is not the church. I know it's see bummer, right? Okay. So Walmart is not actually a Christian corporation either. In fact, I'm not sure that there is such a thing personally, but okay. So Walmart isn't a Christian organization. Okay, or you know, Target, or pick your store, yeah, Nordstrom's or Macy's or you know, Lowe's. Just name the company. I don't know where you do your your Christmas shopping, but they're not they're not the church. They're not a Christian organization, so it's not their job. Get this, it's not their job to say to you, "Merry Christmas." It's your job to greet, wish them a Merry Christmas. You see, because you're a Christian <laughs> and they they probably, the, you know, the, the, the teenager at the uh, the checkout counter probably isn't. So it's not their job to. So don't get all don't get all bent out of shape if you, you know, from a particular day in November through to the end of the Christmas season. If somebody at your local hardware store or grocery store or Walmart or Target or mall doesn't wish you a Merry Christmas, it's your job to wish them a Merry Christmas and share the gospel with them if you can. You get what I'm saying? Now, one one other point regarding this, okay? And that's this, okay? Rather than getting bent out of shape about the, the fact that, you know, the the 16-year-old kid at the checkout counter at Target didn't say Merry Christmas to you and you know and then get all mad and, and upset they're taking Christ out of Christmas and stuff like that that's what the world wants to do <laughs> they they don't want Christ in Christmas so <clears throat> that being the case you need to focus on the bigger offense and what i mean by that is this okay it is far more offensive that there are Christian churches and seeker-driven megachurches who've taken Christ out of Christianity. If you're going to get all bent out of shape, may I recommend taking your anger and wrath and ire over the fact that you were not properly given the right Christmas greeting at Walmart and channel that energy in anger at your local megachurch where they've taken Christ out of Christianity. Okay. In fact, if you're attending a local mega church that's taken Christ out of Christianity, and that your pastor is being featured here uh, in, with negative sermon reviews on a regular basis, um, just want to make it clear: you've lost the right to complain about <laughs> the Christmas wars. Okay. Yet at this point, your pastor is actually guilty of a gr- of a bigger crime, and so until you get rid of him or switch churches, sorry, you're out of this discussion altogether. You've lost the right to participate, as far as I'm concerned. So. That just so what it boils down to is this, all right? This is a template. This goes on every single year. It'll happen this year. It'll happen next year. It'll happen the year after that. It'll happen ten years from now. Should Christ tarry? It'll happen twenty years from now. Should Christ tarry? And who cares? Okay, it's not the job of Walmart to preach the gospel. It's yours. It's not the job of Walmart to greet people and wish them a Merry Christmas. As a Christian, it is your responsibility. So let's get our priorities straight and let's get back on task and get back to the mission that Christ 
has sent us on to disciple the nations to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and Jesus' name. And Christmas time is a legitimate great time to share that good news. But make sure that you and your church are doing it and don't make it Walmart's responsibility or your local city council. Don't make it their responsibility. It's yours. Moving along. From the Telegraph in the UK, from the Telegraph in the UK, headline reads, Archbishop of Canterbury, Church of England has lost credibility over women bishops. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, (laughs) let me just kind of help you out here. Are you ready? Um, It doesn't matter if the majority of people in England, outer suburbia, the United States, uh, South Africa, or whatever, have all voted, and they have decided that... Women should be uh, priests, priestesses, pastrixes, and bishops, bishoprics. Um, it doesn't matter if because because here are you ready for this? Get this: the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, is not a representative democracy. It is not a republic. In other words, what God has said that's true, and churches are not to be abdicating what's true and what Christ has commanded them in order to become relevant with the culture. But apparently this little fact has eluded uh, Dr. Rowan Williams, who is the current Archbishop of Canterbury. He's on his way out, by the way. But here's a little bit of <clears throat> audio made available via the um, the Telegraph in the United Kingdom of some remarks that Rowan uh, Williams made uh, expressing his frustration over the fact that the Church of England failed to make it... Um, possible for them to have female bishops. Here's Rowan Williams. Yesterday did nothing to make polarization in our church less likely. And the risk of treating further polarization of views and identity is a very great one. Okay, now stop. Okay, so he's worried about polarization within the Church of England. Um... So if you're going to have unity in the Church of England, Dr. Williams, what will you unite around? Will you unite around what God's word says? Or will you unite around what, well, the culture that your church exists in wants from you? What would Christ have you unite around? What he said in his word? Or to capitulate and ignore what he said in his word? in order to placate the demands of the culture around you. It will feel like the default setting. The temptation to run around saying, what do we do, who do we blame today, is going to be strong. I hope that we will try and hold back from simple recrimination in all this. So the work to do internally is considerable. But... It's tempting to say that is as nothing compared with the work we have to do externally. We have, to put it very bluntly, a lot of explaining to do. Why? Why do you have any... You've got to understand this, Dr. Williams. Everybody who is a citizen of the United Kingdom who has not been brought to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins... Well, they're dead in trespasses and sins. They are still under the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. They are enslaved to sin, death, and the devil, and have sided with the devil, and are at war with the one true God. 
when did they, when did the kingdom of darkness get a say as to what the church is supposed to be doing? I'm not familiar with when the church was was basically commanded by God to abdicate to the kingdom of darkness. So you don't have any explaining to do. Your your church did the right thing. But if you're going to move forward, I strongly recommend that you work on uniting around what God has said in his word and don't worry about what the people who are in Satan's kingdom are saying about you. You don't owe them an explanation, nor do you owe them an apology. Whatever the motivations for voting yesterday, whatever the theological principle on which people acted and spoke, the fact remains that a great deal of this discussion is not intelligible to our wider society. Worse than that, it seems as if we are willfully blind to some of the trends and priorities of that wider society. Yeah, but see, that's what Christ would have you do. <laughs> Just because there's a trend in your society doesn't mean that the church is supposed to jump onto it and, and champion it. In fact, there's many trends in society that the church is to, well, completely be oblivious to and not have feel any pressure from the world to give in to. You see what I'm saying here? I mean, think of it this way, okay? Let me use a very, very, very uncivilized example, okay? If you're familiar with the rise of Nazism in Germany in the 1920s and 1930s, then you will also be aware of what came to be known, known as the Deutsche Christian movement within Germany at the same time. And there was a lot of pressure put on the church in Germany dur during the time of Hitler and prior to him to de-Judaize Christianity. Hmm? That was what the culture in Germany wanted the German churches to do. And unfortunately, there was a whole group of people who capitulated to the culture around them and de-Judaized Christianity. And, um, and even going so far as to having a swastika on their altars where they would have, you know, when, where they would, they would celebrate the Eucharist. And now we look back and go, that's disgusting, reprehensible, and ugly. Of course it is. But see, the problem is that the church wasn't abiding by God's word. They were trying to rewrite it, to get rid of the parts that were offensive to the greater German culture of the time, right? Yet, any German schoolboy who knew his catechism could have told you, well, how can you de-Judaize Christianity? The Bible says Jesus is the king of the Jews. And see, just something as simple as believing God's word and sticking by it in very childlike faith, that would have made the difference in the whole world. All the German Christians, all they had to say was... Yeah, I'm sorry that you Nazis and uh, you uh, folks in the greater German culture out there have become anti-Semitic, but we can't give in to your demands because our crucified and risen Savior 
is the king of the Jews. And we Christians are grafted into Israel by faith. So to de-Judaize Christianity is to get rid of Christ himself. Same thing applies here, okay? Any any child who's read the, the pastoral epistles would say, well, wait, women can't be pastors because they're not qualified. Jesus has, in his word, has made it clear that men are to be pastors and not women, that men, women are not to have positions of authority over men in the church. I mean, any any English schoolboy could tell you that there were no female apostles. Not one. In fact, of the list of the apostles, they are all men. And this is how God has designed it. So whether or not the, the, the popular trends in the culture in the UK are basically saying, we need to have female pastors and bishops, God's word says, no, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. So you can kindly tell the people in the broader culture, and and here's the deal, the people in the broader culture aren't even the ones in your church anyway. Why on earth would an atheist, an atheist, yeah, a uh, citizen of the UK, have any say whatsoever in what goes on in church. They're not interested in proclaiming the message of Christ and him crucified, discipling the nations, proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. I think you need to stop and go back and look at what's going on here and ask yourself this question. If you're going to unite as the Church of England, so those are the people whom you're serving, um, then what are you going to unite around? the current demands and expectations of the culture, or are you going to unite around Christ and his word? That's the question that needs to be answered. But let's listen to the closing remarks here. We have some explaining to do. Yeah, you're going to have some explaining to do to Christ. You're going to need to explain to Jesus why you're listening to the culture and caving in to their demands and expectations. We have, as a result of yesterday, undoubtedly lost a measure of credibility in our society. Only insofar as you've created the expectation that the society has any say of what goes on in the Church of England. Remember, they're all born dead in trespasses and sins and at war with God. Um, so, <laughs> you know, you, know you, don't have any, you don't have any credibility with them anyway. And so you think you're going to gain credibility with them by changing your church polity to fit their demands and expectations for how the church should be run, yet they don't care anything about Christ, their crucified and risen Savior. They don't even believe in him. They're not trusting in him for the forgiveness of their, of their sins, and you're going to let them decide? <laughs> I think everything here is backwards, upside down, and inside out. This is absolutely wrong. All right, let's end this uh, first hour with a quick comment by uh, John Hagee to help further make the case that there's a lot of folks that are off-topic and off-mission here. And I think John Hagee is one of them here. Listen in. Don't ever forget that choices have consequences. Yes, they do. America chose a leader who is for men marrying men. Yeah, yeah, he is. The Bible is clearly opposed to that. Yes, it is. You're right. We chose a leader and have been choosing leaders who are pro-abortion. Yep, that's right. It's very clearly forbidden in the Word of God. Yes, it is. You're absolutely correct, John. It is. We chose a leader who has attacked freedom of religion, saying that the Catholic Church is going to have to pay for contraceptives. You're absolutely right. We pay, we 
put a party in power who had to have three voice votes to get God in their platform. Tis true. The Bible says, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. Um, Out of context, uh, Jesus said, basically, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. But see, John, here, here's, can I make a point here? And that's this. Um, yeah. Do you think that people who are born sinners um, have any reason to not want to keep on sinning? I mean, do you, do you think that you can that they would be made more righteous before God um, if we could outlaw homosexuality and all and, and you know really kind of push hard you know on this on the social agenda or um, or is there a better way? And what I mean by that is this: I'm not denying that any of that is a sin, not at all. But I'm not surprised that pagans, people who are unregenerate, born dead in trespasses and sins, in slavery to sin, death, and the devil, that the thing that they want to, their their democratic republic to reflect are their fallen uh, sinful values. Right? That's what we would expect sinners to do. So your job is not to browbeat them for voting for the guy who represents their sin, because, see, politics isn't going to solve this problem. Your job is to point them to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, right? So we're supposed to be salt and light by proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, so that God would raise them from the dead and see, then they would begin to bear fruit in keeping with the Spirit. Here, you're, you're, it's like as if you're just basically saying, you had better bear fruit in keeping with the Spirit and obey God, but see, they're dead. So why would we expect somebody who's dead to um, show the fruit of Christian sanctification in their life? It doesn't make any sense. I think we're off topic, and I think we're off mission. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button um, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We get back from the break to good sermons to end off the week. And the one that's coming up immediately, you definitely want to listen to it in light of what we just heard in hour number one. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash 
sheep. And you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the Cheapo Air's already low prices. Write down the promo code, then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website. Very easy to use, very inexpensive. You save an additional $15. And by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. So again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Now, I'm not going to pick these apart. I'm going to play them for you because they are good sermons. But this one in particular, the one I'm going to lead off with, if you've been off topic and off mission, spending an inordinate amount of time caught up in politics and following that, then you're about to have your idol literally melted down and smashed into pieces. Here we go. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermons, we got two of them today. Uh, the first one comes to us via Faith Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas. Pastor, uh, the Reverend Mark Taylor, presiding. First sermon does not have a name. Just so you know, it's just the sermon for the third to the last Sunday of the church year, preached on November 11th, 2012. And you, by the way, if you want to find the this pastor's website and listen to his other sermons, you can by visiting faithplano.org. Sermon number two, well, hang on. Sermon number one, just so you know, is going to be based upon, the sermon text is uh, Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 20, which I will read prior to uh, playing the sermon for you. Sermon number two will be coming to us via Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska, Brent Kuhlman presiding kind of modern day John the Baptist. That's all I got to say about that. He will his sermon is entitled Access, Conscience and Love and is an exposition based on Hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 through 25 which I will read prior to playing his sermon. Since these are good sermons, I'm not going to break down the mechanics. What you're going to listen for is God's word handled correctly, law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Law preached to nail your self-righteousness to the wall, to just incinerate it, leave you with absolutely nothing in your hand, and then in your empty hand place your crucified and risen Savior. And free forgiveness and mercy won by him. So with that, let me kill the music and let me first then read for you the uh, the text for the first sermon. Uh, the text, again, is taken from Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 20, which reads, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, 
Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what, is ha- what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, to Yahweh. That's right. They were worshiping the golden calf and calling it Yahweh. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord and said, O Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all of this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And then the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it into powder, and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. This is the text that forms the basis of the first sermon that you are about to listen to. Here is the Reverend Mark Taylor from Faith Plano, Faith Lutheran Church, Plano, Texas. Here we go. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, 
and follow local customs and dress and food and other aspects of life. At the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet abound in everything. In a word, what the soul is to the body, Christians are to the world. These words were written by an unknown Christian during the time of the Roman persecutions. But they might as well have been written for today. The earliest church knew intimately what it was like to live in the world, but to not be of the world. Some were citizens of Rome, others of lesser kingdoms. But they all knew this. Their worldly citizenship was not destined to last. They were living as foreigners in their fatherland, obedient, but always transient. The kingdom of heaven was their real home. We live in confusing times. We understand that our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the centuries have suffered among the nations. That they have lived in corrupt societies and have faced horrible persecutions. We know that Jesus says of Christians, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But for some time now, we have perceived ourselves as different. We have not counted ourselves among the brethren who live in the world, a world that hates them and their Lord Christ. We thought there were differences between them and us, between their lives in the nations and our lives here. But the differences are not so clear anymore. Soon they will be gone. And we will know once more that we were always living in the world. Daily we find ourselves surrounded by the same wickedness that surrounded the early Christians. Indeed, our people are going to prove to be far worse. They murder their babies, just like the Romans did. They handed over their wives and their daughters to play the whore. They rejoice in their drunkenness, homosexuality, fornication outside of marriage. They are greedy thieves and swindlers. And they love it. They cry out for more sin. Our people cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. 
They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. We are living in the world. And that is a hard truth to accept. We want to believe that things are different for us, but they are proving not to be so. Coming to terms with this is not easy. It is the law doing its work. It is the Lord killing the hope of the old Adam, and that hope in the world must die. We have not been living like foreigners. We have taken hope in Rome and its rulers. The Lord has warned us, saying, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. But we have not listened. We have insisted on creating false gods and false saviors for ourselves, at whose altars we have worshipped and whose devotion we are reluctant to leave behind. Unlike our brothers and sisters in the early church, we are afraid of losing the mammon which we love and the peaceful lives that we have enjoyed. We dread the thought of having to suffer in body and mind for the faith to which we have been called. So we look to our leaders in the world with great desperation and anxiety to preserve us and our treasures. We hope and trust in them that they will. It is true and right that Christians at all times and places live and participate as citizens in the kingdoms of the world. We pay taxes, elect leaders, submit in the body to those who rule over us. We receive protection and at times earthly prosperity. These are good things. They are God's good gifts of creation. But we must not trust and put our faith in them. For when we do, they become like idols to us. The things to which we look for our ultimate hope and protection. We begin to live for this world, this kingdom, instead of the kingdom of God. And we have replaced our Lord with something else. The God of our choosing. It hurts to admit that, but it's true. We have worshipped our own gods just like the children of Israel in the wilderness. They grew impatient with the Lord at Mount Sinai. They feared what they believed was His absence. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. They wanted to solve their own problems. And they tried to do it on their own. When they should have waited on the Lord, they did not. And so they sought to worship God by making gods of their own choosing. The Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord in his mercy sent Moses to take this false god from the people. 
In anger did Moses smash the tablets of the law as a sign against the children of Israel that they had so desecrated them in this abomination. And to rid the people of this false god, Moses took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. The Lord made the people of Israel eat their false god and purge it from them in their waste. We should expect that the Lord will do no less with us. We may very well eat our false gods so that they may be purged from us. In fact, it is already beginning to happen, and it must. The Lord may very well take our wealth, our mammon, and our might in which we have trusted and found too much joy for too long. The things of this world, they're not evil in and of themselves. But we have made them our God. We are like the rich man to whom Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have. But what will we have if we have not our possessions? What will we have if we have not our mammon. And when the Lord takes them from us and from our nation, we will find out that there is really only one of two things that we can actually have. Nothing or the Lord. Many will look upon the princes to the princes of the earth as they already are. They will trust in them, hope in them. But it is in vain. They can no more save us from our false gods than they can make it rain. Indeed, they make themselves like gods to be worshipped, whom we are obliged to venerate. But they will only disappoint and show themselves to be miserable gods who make the lives of their people wretched. We cannot trust in the strength of men. It will always fail. So what are we to do then when our gods are gone and when we are surrounded by a wickedness of a world that only knows sin all the time? What will become of us? What will become of our children and our grandchildren? Is there no hope for our people? Out of the ashes of the ruin which common sense knows is coming shall our hope be found. The Lord did not allow his people to worship their false god. He did not allow them to worship the golden calf. He made them eat it and expel it. And he is doing the same thing to us. The Lord is teaching us what it means to be his people and he as our God. He is showing us what the kingdoms of the earth really are, all the while making us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that is where our hope is, our only hope in the midst of this life. We have put our trust and our hope in the things of the world, and now God is taking them from us so that we will put our trust and our hope in the things of God. We're going to continue living in this world as citizens of an earthly kingdom. 
But we will be like foreigners on the earth, just like our brothers and our sisters before us. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that means our eyes are going to be set on things above, not on things below. Christ came into this ugly, wicked, sinful world to save you from its false gods. The devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world, but he would have not even one of them. Instead, he took upon the sin of your false worship and he paid the price for that sin, which is death. And he has forgiven you for all your golden idols, all those golden calves, so that you may be called his own and live under him in his kingdom forever. You have been saved from the judgment of sin under the law, which is a fate far worse than the cruelties of the kingdoms of the earth. Those who worship the false gods of the earth will actually worship them forever. And they will perish in their sin and remain eternally where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But that is not your fate. For you dwell in the kingdom of God here on earth where there is forgiveness of sins, where there is the love of God in Christ Jesus, our crucified Lord. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus and He rules over you with mercy and grace. He is your King. And that is all that really matters. <clears throat> there is nothing more important in this life than what God has given you in His church. Christ in His Word. Christ in the sacraments, in baptism. He has given you these great gifts. The gifts of forgiveness. The gift of the promise of dwelling eternally in His kingdom forever. When everything else is gone, the kingdom yours shall remain. That is the promise to you and your children. You are blessed in the things of God to which there is no comparison with the things of the world. The Lord, He's even blessed you with a school that deepens the faith of the few and defends the minds of your children from the idols of the world. He's given you brothers and sisters in Christ who pray for you, who love you, who will suffer with you. Take a good look around. These gifts of Christ, these gifts of the people of God in Christ, they are the only thing that will mean anything when everything is gone. Fear not the loss of the gods of this world. You need not be afraid if you should lose your mammon you're going to lose it anyway. You need not be afraid of war or the burning of cities, which happens from time to time. You need not be afraid when rulers fail, because eventually they always do. You need not fear the persecution in mind or body, for those things are but for a moment in comparison to eternity. 
You need not fear when all seems lost. Because your crucified and risen Lord has already won. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are not but foreigners on this earth. And it is time for the church to confess that. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Our second good sermon and the last for this episode of Fighting for the Faith is entitled Access, Conscience, and Love. And it's based upon Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. Let me read that for you. Here's what it says. And every high priest stands at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's Brent Kuhlman, Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska, and his sermon, Access, Conscience, and Love. Here we go. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as indicated before. The text is the epistle, a portion of it. Please be seated. Well, dear brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the epistle for today from Hebrews is so loaded with great and powerful stuff that it's a proverbial gold mine, and I might preach just a tad bit longer than usual, and if I do, well, it's because the text is so pregnant with theological meaning for our lives before God and our lives before one another. So I'd better get going and not mess around. I'll highlight three things today from the text. So hang on tight, fasten your seatbelts, here we go. Because Jesus, our great high priest, offered his Good Friday body and blood as the atoning sacrifice for all your sin for all time, you have, I tell you, you have supernatural assets. You may look bankrupt spiritually, but in the divine service, Christ Jesus provides you with supernatural resources. And you, I tell you, you are rich beyond belief. I mean that. And so that takes me to point number one. Access. Access. The text today proclaims entree. When I taught at the seminary in Siberia, the students had access to me where? 
in the classroom, but not at my flat. There I had to rest and I had to sleep. They had no access to me there. There are only three children who have access to me as their biological father. And there's only one woman in the world who has the right of sexual access to me, and that is my wife. Now, who has access to your credit card accounts or your credit rating? The right of access to your money is always what? It's always restricted. Otherwise, cyber criminals will drain your bank accounts dry. Our country restricts those who can cross our borders, otherwise the terrorists would overrun us. And only a very few people have the privilege of access to the President of the United States. Just try and show up at the White House tomorrow. Go ahead, take a plane, fly out to Washington, D.C., show up at the White House and say, I'd like to see President Obama. In fact, I demand to see President Obama right now. Where will you get? How far will you go? You'll get nowhere. And in fact, if you keep on demanding on it, you'll probably get thrown in jail. But now, now try to gain access to God himself, God the Father. And lo and behold, (laughs) lo and behold, the the door stands ajar. (coughs) No, the door is wide open. And Jesus has arranged that for you. You have Access to God the Father through your Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, you have complete and total access to the Father's presence in the heavenly sanctuary. Jesus, as the text says, is your great high priest, and he holds the key to the Father's house. Yes, access. You have access to God the Father. And you can approach the Father in the most holy places with confidence, the text says, by the blood of Jesus And through the curtain. And did you catch what the curtain was? The body of Jesus. So for you, access to God the Father is not restricted. You have complete freedom to approach him. But the key, of course, is through Jesus' body and blood. In the divine service, then, you have Christ's own right of unrestricted access to the heavenly king. You can approach the Father with the audacious assurance that he will treat you just as he treats his own son, Jesus. Because Jesus died for you. That he shed his blood for you. That all of his assets are now your assets. Yes, in the divine service, Jesus bestows all the benefits of his Good Friday dying for you. For example, in the Lord's Supper, Jesus rolls up his sleeves as your servant, and he gives you his own flesh and blood with the bread and wine. This is your physical way into the most holy place, the heavenly sanctuary. The Lord's tabernacle or temple curtain replacing flesh puts you into the very presence of the Father's inner sanctum. With Christ's most holy body and blood, Jesus comes to you and he ushers you into the very presence of the living God. In the sacrament of the altar, you have have access to heaven. Now, as you live on the earth, and his promise is that you're forgiven. Now, because of this gift of access to the Father, for Christ's sake, you have another magnificent asset according to the text today. And this is point number two. It has to do with your conscience. 
Yes, that's right. Your conscience. Perhaps all this talk of having complete access to the Father's presence made you a little bit nervous, maybe a little bit distressed because, you know, you might be feeling right now like the way a criminal feels when he's on the run and surrounded and pinned in by the presence of a team of police officers. After all, you've defied God, you've spit in his face, you've cursed him, you've chased after other false gods. You wouldn't take a chance to trust him in the little things of this life, let alone the big things and the matters that really count, namely eternal life and salvation. And you know deep down that you're not who you should be. You've believed the lie that you can be like God. And so then to be in God's presence as a sinner is awkward to say the least. Let me illustrate. Sometimes when I go and visit people who haven't been in church in decades, I'll say, why don't you come to church? And that person will say, oh, if I'd come to church, the ceiling and the walls would cave in. They know deep down what I'm just trying to express. Maybe you feel that way. Unclean, dirty, polluted, ashamed, guilty as charged. And you fully expect God to be like what? To be like a heavenly SWAT team to take you out. To criticize and condemn and to snuff you out. And if that's the way you think and feel, I tell you, you have a what? You have a guilty conscience. And your guilty conscience distorts and it warps and it deforms your view of God. Your guilty conscience turns everything upside down. You hear everything that God says about you. How? Negatively. As if the only word from God is always a critical one, a damning one. And so, you know, some of you may have uh, reservations about coming to church. You just don't want to take the chance to show up and be condemned because you know who's there. Your guilty conscience tells you that God's very unhappy with you. Eh, maybe your guilty conscience says God hates you and that he's out to get you, to zap you, and to burn you to a crisp. But brothers and sisters, today's text declares just the opposite. In God's eyes, for Christ's sake, you are cleansed. You are holy. You are sanctified in body and in soul through the water of holy baptism in which God gave you his most holy name. His most holy name that actually bestows and gives you God's own holiness. Yes, God holies you with his name and baptism. Listen again to the text. It says, let us come near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In holy baptism, you have Christ's holiness that cleanses you in God the Father's eyes. And having been gifted with Christ's purity in baptism, you are now qualified to come into God's presence. Brothers and sisters, you've all been given all of Christ's holiness because he's taken all of your sin and all of its impurity in his body on the cross where he answered for all of it. 
And now in baptism, he gives you his purity and holiness as your very own. So it's only through Jesus, then, that you have a clean and a clear conscience. And so then you can, as the text says, draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And now that that takes us then to point number three. And this has to do with love. All of what Jesus has done for us and everything that he gives us spurs us, as the text says, to love and good deeds. That's what the text says. The love of Christ spurs us on to love and good deeds as the last day fast approaches. In other words, the unrestricted access to God, the reception of baptism, the Lord's Supper as you come to church, with all their divine gifts, are meant to stir you to action. To stir you up with love and good works. You know how this works in everyday life, don't you? I hope you do. Love stirs up more love, just as generosity stirs up more generosity. You know how that works in everyday life. And the gifts of Jesus that he provides have their way with you so that what can happen in your life? So that you can stir each other up and bring out the best in each one of you. But again, this is all from Jesus. He lavishes his love on you. He is among you and with you and in you. You are Christ's holy people. You are citizens of heaven. He demonstrates his love to you and offers his help to you through your brothers and sisters in Christ. As Jesus then gathers you around himself in his word and in his sacrament, you build each other up in love as you wait patiently for the last day and his glorious revelation. As you wait for the last day, brothers and sisters, you are to affirm one another and you are to build each other up as the communion of saints. Listen carefully again to the text. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, you need to be activated and you need to be energized spiritually by your contact with each other. Or to put it even better, you need to let Christ enrich and empower you through your fellow believers who gather together every Sunday. You commit spiritual suicide if you habitually isolate yourself from the body of Christ. I warn you, if you stop attending the divine service on a regular basis, you drift away from Christ and you lose your place in the heavenly Jerusalem. And Trinity, this congregation, will be all the poorer for it. So, you know, in the divine service, Christ gathers us all, not as an AA, but as an SA, a kind of sinners anonymous <laughs> for mutual encouragement and support. 
The cigarettes and the donuts and the coffee, well, you can go to the fellowship hall for that. But this is really quite important, more than you would ever imagine. And so as I finish my sermon with a flurry today, I'm going to be quite candid, and I hope you have ears to hear. If it leads you to repent, well, then God be praised. So here it goes. Habitual, on-purpose absence from the divine service demonstrates something. It reveals your total disregard for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You believe that you can blow off going to church for very long periods of time and that it has absolutely no negative impact on your brothers and sisters in Christ. I tell you that it does. It hurts a congregation. It demoralizes the body of Christ. It tears down a congregation. And your customary not attendance reveals another thing. It shows just how unloving you really are. Because you do not take your fellow believers into consideration at all. Now, on the other hand, your regular and faithful attendance displays and proves your love not only for me, but all of the members of this congregation in a very practical, down-to-earth way. When you come to church and you recognize me as a fellow saint and all the other brothers and sisters in Christ as a fellow saint, even though we're all sinners... Your customary attendance at the divine service then provokes me to appreciate you and your contribution even to my spiritual welfare. By meeting together at church in the Father's presence through Jesus Christ, we encourage each other as we wait for the glory to come on the last day and then rehearse every Sunday for our eternal life with the Holy Trinity and the communion of saints. So, let me wrap up. Access, a clean conscience, hearts and bodies purified, holy, all for Christ's sake. And now the Lord has good use for all of us to stir us all up, to provoke one another with love by going to church. How magnetic and attractive Trinity Murdoch is as we treat each other in the way that God treats all of us in Christ Jesus. I don't dare preach any longer. Good grief, I've gone on for way too long. So now let's get ready to enter into the Holy of Holies, the Lord's Supper, and receive faithfully Christ's forgiveness with his most holy body and blood and be spurred on by his giving to love one another. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button there or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>